a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism, Pastor Fleming. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, if you guys would put mega, the mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word fastest. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, where the mark of a new low is when Pastor Wolfmiller says, Don't worry, follow my lead. That <laughs> this is, is going to not... be great. <laughs> oh. The jet lag edition of Table Talk Radio. We've had a few of those. This might be uh, a... I wasn't even in Denmark long enough to get jet lag. It was a quickie trip. It's just left on Wednesday, back on Monday, so... I know. Here we go. I'm going to be uh, flying up to Seattle uh, next week for the doxology retreat. Hey, good. And I wonder if I can claim jet lag, even though I don't, I don't cross a time zone. I'm like, oh man, I'm so jet lag from that trip. Yeah, that's right. That like, why not? Our flight is rough on me. If there's a jet involved, <laughs> if it's right. delayed, that's jet lag. Yeah. So we're gonna play the game called uh, influential character in Denmark history or. <laughs> oh, brother. this is a this is a play on our very successful game, Church Father or where we had a name. You, I had a word and you have to guess if it was a church father or a something or not. We're going to play that. I'm not sure. Be, don't worry. If, if, it's going to uh, be great. <laughs> the reason that game worked was because of uh, our our or my great ignorance of the patristics. And I guess anytime we bump into a topic that you have like a Wikipedia knowledge about things, right. we'll just play I wouldn't that. I say Wikipedia. <laughs> I have an in-depth knowledge having been in Denmark for approximately 73 hours. So, by the way, if anybody actually knows the history of Denmark, you're probably going to want to skip this episode. <laughs> if it's possible for our reputations to be worse, if that's a possibility, then you might just move on. Just save <laughs> Save ourselves the shame. But let's start with some buzzwords, shan't we? I have my buzzword generator here, so you can pick a page from 1 to 700 in the Doctrine of the Theology of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. I kind of feel like we're going to start uh, repeating all the buzzwords out of this thing pretty soon. Uh, 91. 91. It's all up to you on the page that you pick. So... How about this? The perspicuity of scriptures. We actually did have that, didn't we? <laughs> you want me to pick a different one? How about... Uh, no, I like this one. Okay. Uh, this is Gerhardt says, Observe the attribute of perspicuity does not cut us off from the pious study of the scriptures by reading and meditation, nor from the use of the aids necessary to the interpretation of scripture. Here's from Quinstadt. Remember that guy? 
We are to distinguish between men who, on account of their immature age and their want of familiarity with the language in which they read the scriptures, meet with difficulty through unskillfulness or ignorance, or who are prejudiced by preconceived erroneous opinions, and those from whom this is not the case. For we presuppose a sufficient knowledge of the language, maturity of age, a mind not filled with prejudice and erroneous opinions, and also a legitimate and good version of the original text. This is, this is why the purposeful of Scripture grows out of the doctrine that the Lord's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's a really important teaching. And, but it doesn't mean that the Bible is obvious or that the Bible is easy to understand. That's not what that means. So I've had a bunch of conversations about that lately. It turns out that there's people who are motivated in arguing that the scriptures are opaque. Mm. And the reason their, their motivation comes from the fact, well, if the scriptures are opaque, then you need something else, like mm, a pope. Well, is that is that a kind of a move to say, um, well, you're, you're understood interpretation of this is wrong and it's wrong on the basis that we can understand the scriptures <laughs> right that's right Just, wait a minute so you're telling me the lack of clarity tells me that i'm wrong wouldn't wouldn't clarity be an indication that i'm wrong well how it's a, it's a weird sort of thing is that the people who deny the perspicuity of scripture assert the perspicuity of the pope or something else mm. it's like now wait a minute how does the pope end up clearer than the bible <laughs> To which brings us always back to the key question when talking to, well, one of the key questions when talking to our Roman Catholic friends and interlocutors is, what do you require me to believe that the prophets and apostles do not? Mm. And that is our key question. Interesting. Very good. Okay. Uh, my theological buzzword for you is demonology. Uh, wow. This is the study of demons. Uh, so the demons are the fallen angels um, who rebelled against God. And I think that the thing that's helpful that for us to bring to the table on discussing demonology is, uh, in fact, the cross. I think that's the big thing that is missing when we think about things like spiritual warfare or demonology, is the cross is remarkably uh, missing in the whole conversation. And, w and when you take that away, the uh, whole discussion really ends up being upon the uh, willpower <laughs> The, the, motive, the, 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 the resistance of the Christian. Uh, and so it's all about what the Christian is going to do to resist you know, the devil or the demon, things like this. And what we understand, though, in the scriptures is that the, the, uh, the, that the crucifixion of Jesus is what undoes the devil and, and the demons. So there's this parable, I think it's in Matthew's Gospel, about uh, the, the strong man. You remember, remember this text? Mm -hmm. uh, mm. About how you can't, if, if, I were to, if I were to break into someone's house um, and to steal all their jewelry or something like that, I couldn't do that if I knew the man of the house was there, <laughs> that, that he'd, you know, he'd, he'd shoot me or tackle me or whatever. I, I can't get away with it. So I gotta, I gotta somehow figure out to get in there and, and bind up the strong man so he can't stop me from stealing all the jewelry. Uh, well, that's the exact picture that uh, Jesus uses, and the strong man in that picture is 
the devil. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that, that Jesus comes in to our house, that is this world we live in, and he binds up the strong man, the prince of this, of this world, the devil, so that he can uh, rob the strong man of his jewels, and that is us. <laughs> it's such mm-hmm. a great, perfect. So when, when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, uh, he is now bound up and he is, he is, he is uh, defeated so that he can redeem us, bring us back, win us back to him. And I think when we start there in our discussion of demonology or spiritual warfare, then it's really about uh, believing in the gospel, that when, when we believe in the promises that are given to us in Christ Jesus, the devil uh, really has, has no power over us. Uh, his temptations come in doubting the Word of God to say that this gospel promise is not true. Um, I don't know if this, this is helpful or not, but I've always uh, used this analogy of someone who's robbing a bank with an unloaded gun. <laughs> and, That's nice. And, 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 That's really nice. And so, so if you can, if you can buy the lie that he's going to shoot you, you're going to do whatever he tipped you off. Hey, that gun is fake. It's not even a real gun. You don't care what this guy's going to do to you. <laughs> you know, do your worst. I'm not scared. So that's that's the devil with an unloaded gun. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm going to use it. All right. You don't you don't have to cite me, or or you can. You know, next time you're preaching, as Pastor Gigline always says on Table Talk Radio. Right. That's right. <laughs> TM <Okay>. registered <laughs> copyright. Copyright 2022. Pastor Evan Gigline. Okay. You ready for this great game? Oh, am I? Okay, we got about a minute and a half to get started. Will that right, be enough perfect. time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a word. This is how the game will work. I'm going to say a word, and you are going to determine if that word is a person of extreme history, uh, extreme importance in the theological history of Denmark, or if it, that word does not refer to it's that. Just anything else? Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Grundiv. Grundiv. That is definitely, and I, and I know this from my vast knowledge of history, that is definitely a figure of importance in uh, Denmark history. You are wrong. Gerundiv is a word that means uh, uh, noting the obligation, necessity, or worthiness of the action to be done. Oh, that's but right. That's right. <laughs> there is a man named Nikolaj Frederick Severin Grundvig. Oh, that's what it was. 1783 to 1872, Danish pastor, author, poet, philosopher, historian, teacher, and politician who was very influential in the in Danish history and especially the Danish church. And he, he got in some trouble, but he, he, uh, his influence is really phenomenal, and he's the guy who started these mission organizations in the state church. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. After the break, how's that sound? All right. Well, if you want to play along, uh, why don't you call in with <laughs> your 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 guesses? One eight hundred three eight five Sola. We should do a listener participation game. We I, should. I don't know how that would work. We just need all we need is listeners. Yeah. As soon as we get a listener, if you're listening, let us know one eight hundred three eight five Sola, and we'll dream up a listener participation game. Maybe with this fantastic game of influential leader in Denmark or you're listening to Table Talk Radio. More of this you don't want to miss right after this.
Jeopardy. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Gotcha. So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel, and I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 uh, for watch time. And to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller1 is the channel name. See you there. Well, I hope you, hope you uh, stuck with us through that long break because you don't want to miss out on the excitement of this Table Talk radio game. All right, so uh, who is the, what was the name of the guy again that you were... Grundvig. Right, that's what Grundvig. I thought. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's an interesting character. He's all His fingerprints are all over the church. And so he, okay, so you got a state church, but it needed to be reformed. He was kind of a reformer. But what he did is, if I understand this right, he's, he was kind of the... Uh, impetus for a number of mission societies in Denmark. I still need to understand this a little bit better, but there was a state church, but they were infected with rationalism. But then what do you do? So there were some free churches that were started at this time, one free church, especially small free church, but there was these mission societies, the Lutheran mission, and then the I think a little later, the Lutheran evangelical mission, another inner mission which had different focuses, but they would have a mission house that was down the street from the church where people would meet for Bible study and things like this. But the sacraments were always at the church. And if I if I understand it, a lot of this impetus came from, this idea came from Grundtvig. Still working on it, but... I have, I have a, a question. A, oh, yeah. sorry. Finish your thought on this. He's, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, he, he wrote a bunch of hymns, poems. He wrote a bunch of pamphlets, books, etc. He was at the same time Hans Christian Andersen and also Kierkegaard, the famous ones, but... It maybe go, uh, he's not known much outside of Denmark, I don't think, but um, there's a, a huge character there. So. Hmm. so the Lutheran Church is the state church of Denmark. Yeah. Do uh, Lutherans in the state church of Denmark talk about like two kingdom theology or the three estates? No. <laughs> I'm <just> wondering. <laughs> It would be kind of awkward. Thing, I mean, it's kind of like when when those churches who have uh, women readers get to the text that say that you know reading you know women should remain silent in the church. It, it's awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> All right, let's get to the part about two kingdom theology. That's right. How about this? Uh, you ready for the next one? You ready. have no points yep. so far. Okay, I, I'm going to redeem myself here. Are you ready? Resini, uh, or sorry, resinous. That is not a influential leader. I would know that one. So no, that's something else. You're right. Resinous. It means full of or containing resin. See? But there is an important character in Danish history called Carl Olaf Rosinius. He was a Pietist, Swedish preacher, author, editor of monthly Pietisten, the Pietist, eighteen forty-two to eighteen sixty-eight. It's Rosinius who, talking to the pastors in Denmark, is who brought them Luther. Interesting. But it's, it comes through this pietistic sort of tinge. And so you have these mission societies that are trying to read Luther, but they're, 
very curiously reading them through the eyes of uh, this man who was a bit of a, a pietist. So, Rosinius. So, uh, pietism is what it's good to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was, I was just kind of thinking how that affects your understanding of Luther. So you have, um, let me say reading Luther, like reading Luther's writings or or reading Lutheran theology or both. Yeah, both. But um, like, hey, Luther said this, but it's like in a devotional book. Like here's right. a quote from Luther and then here's my explanation of it, right? But right. curious, isn't it? And I, it just reminds me when I, I went over to uh, Taiwan a few years back and they were... Um, they got really mad at me because I criticized the four spiritual laws, and uh, and I said, why, "Why are they getting so upset?" And the, and the missionary explained to me that the guy who translated Luther was like a um, he was an evangelical, he was a Baptist or something. So Luther always was talking about receiving Christ into your heart and stuff yeah. because of the translation. That, that's exactly right. That's 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 kind of what I was trying to nail down. So how how the bent on Pietism uh, flavors the reading of Luther. I mean, I remember when, before I really had a, a clear understanding about what the third article of the creed means in regards to, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, that I I was, a, you know, in a Lutheran church. I uh, thought I understood what Lutherans believe, but if you were to ask me about salvation, I would have, I would have articulated some kind of uh, decision theology. Mm-hmm. So this definitely can flavor uh, what you believe about a particular teaching. Yeah. So the pietists were a reaction. When we talk about pietism in America, it's a, probably a little bit different than pietism in Scandinavia. Hmm. Um, it, it says a lot of the same marks, but over there you got to think, okay, so you got a state church and they're rationalist, and then, like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't. You could you could start your own church. That's illegal. So what well, we got to read Luther and we got to read the Bible and we got to think about these things. So, you know, it's just very. It's a so you're in a tricky situation. So you end up you end up starting a a, conver, a Bible study basically. But the problem is you can't have the sacraments or the Lord's Supper. You you're and you're still a member of the state church where you're doing that. And but it's uh, it's really. It's really tricky. So, and one of the problems then is that your your understanding of salvation gets disconnected from the sacraments, like the sacraments are the thing that you do, but it's not the burning heart of the central thing. You start to lose. I mean, the clergy uh, have um, sort of abandoned their office, but where do you go to then? Uh, uh, it's a it's a tricky thing. Is that? Do you think that the Pietistic bent comes inherent with? the idea of a state church in that um, I mean pietism usually is is a is a breakaway from those who seem to be insincere so uh, pietism always has an eye at the neighbor to see how devoted is the neighbor and how devoted am I right and so when you have a state church you have people who are just kind of going to the authorized teaching of the state and what really distinguishes those between those who are doing it because they really mean it, they really believe it. Um, 
an uh, outflow of a state church. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I'm just spitballing so. here. I'm just yeah. No, I think that I think you're probably right about that. And it, because you have to get this church within a church, because if if you have this baseline, can you imagine? Like, just it's hard for us in the United States to imagine this. I, I was like just basically spent five days meditating on this, trying to understand it there in Denmark. Because, like, can you imagine that? that everyone sort of defaults into the church mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a Lutheran church. It defaults into the Lutheran church. It's all, it, it'd be something like the ELCA, but imagine if every single person in your town was born a member of the ELCA and to be out of a member, you had to, to leave, you had to fill out a little paper that kind of opted you out. Mm. 70% of Denmark still pays the church tax. And says that they're a member of the Church of Denmark, but they two percent go to church or two point seven percent or something. But everyone that's says interesting, that they, and they and they pay the money for it, and they go at Christmas and they get go to get baptized and confirmed and to get married and to be buried there. Beautiful cemeteries all around the churches with these beautiful gardens, amazing. Mm-hmm. Old, you know, it's just so. So to go to a different church, you you. You have to leave. It's like, it's not intention. It's not the act of joining the church that you do. It's the act of thing. You're sort of there. You're in it. It's um, it's it's a it's a really difficult situation and hard to imagine. How and does so? How does it, the Missouri Synod like, regard fellowship with the church in Denmark? Oh, we we have a there's a free church there um, that we're in fellowship with that started early. I mean. Uh, the evangelical some grace church is where we were in Aarhus and they have they have two or three congregations and uh, a, a pastor and a pastor in training and small little church but old church body uh, it's uh, from 1850 or something that we have fellowship with we don't have fellowship with the state church so 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 is that allowed i mean in in when you have a state church they they allow for free churches to yeah, around. there's also there's all sorts of things in Denmark that they allow. So they do allow the free church, but the problem is it's totally funded by the people, like our churches mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. The state church is funded by the, these this church tax, and and they've got a lot of money. It seems like sure. um, the uh, also you there's some restrictions for the free church. So there's certain things that they can't do, but there's provisions in this in the state church like. There's a thing called choosing churches. So say there's a, a particular church in the state church, and they want to pick a confessional or a conservative pastor. They can choose their own pastor, and people can go there, but they lose some of their privileges in the state church. They also have provisions for the pastors who want to be what they call old Lutheran. So they don't want to join with like ordination of women or gay marriage or things like that. There's a provision for pastors in the state church to opt out of that. So they can do it, and there are faithful guys who are doing that. Um, and then they have these mission societies, which are like these recognized groups of, of of practice and thought, and they can even have their own congregations. But again, they're covering all the costs and everything, and so it's it's this it's a difficult thing to compete with and try to figure out. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, we've got about twenty seconds here before we go to our next break. So how, how many? I will give you. Oh, go ahead. I will give you that. I got three or four more. I'll give you another one to think about. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bluetooth. Oh, Bluetooth. Huh. 
It's either a pirate or, hmm. Well, I'm going to take the break to think about that. <laughs> Good old Bluetooth over there. <laughs> I See, this, this is obvious. Um, and I think because it's so obvious, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> of obvious? Yeah. Because it could be, it I know. It could be a double reverse. Ooh, a double reverse psychology. All right, I'll think about it during this break. You'll want to stay tuned for sure through this break. If that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back right after this quick break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Never imitated, never duplicated. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. As with most games on Table Talk Radio, the best strategy is to peer into the psychology of Pastor Wolf Miller, which is a very dangerous place to live. But, uh, you know, I think... You, you got a points, by the way, for guessing that um, uh, Rosinus is different than Rosinius. Or resinous. Yes. I did nail that one. Um, so, Bluetooth, I think you want me to say, no, 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 that's not a important figure because that's what I connect my headset to with my phone. But you want me to think that. So I'm going to uh, identify that Bluetooth is an influential character in history. You are right. (laughs) Let me write that down. I thought I'd set that up perfect. Harold Bluetooth Gormson was king of Denmark and Norway. He died in 985. He was the son of, how about this cool name? He was the son of this Viking king, Gorm the Old, and Thyra Danabond. He ruled as king of Denmark from 958 to 986. And he is most famous because Bluetooth introduced Christianity to Denmark and consolidated his rule over most of Jutland and Zealand. He is, uh, was ruled as king of Norway also. Etc. So this is the old Viking days, but this herald was baptized by a monk, Popo. I should have done Popo as a name. And he, and then that's when Denmark became Christian, about 1986 or something like this. So we visited this spot in Yelling, Yelling, where there's this, this old magic place where they had this, like, these, all these, uh, rocks in the shape of a boat and they built uh gorm the old built this huge burial pyre for himself and the queen and then harold becomes christian and he makes a church right in the middle of this burial ground old christian church and there's this old stone it's called the birth certificate of denmark where it it has on one side this viking style crucifixion the yelling stone i think it's called and then on the other side it has a the ruins which say here harold made denmark made the danes christian or something like this harold bluetooth so that's the that's the guy named bluetooth i wonder how you get a name like that i wonder if like he just got caught at the wrong time eating a cupcake 
and it just colored all his teeth and like, hey, look, it's Bluetooth. You go, I hope that name doesn't stick. But you know, or you know, I I don't think they have a lot of dentists amongst the pirate the the Vikings. This yelling stone says King Harold bade these memorials to be made after Gorm his father and Thyra his mother, the herald who won the whole of Denmark and Norway and turned the Danes to Christianity. Hmm. Hmm. And the, you know the Bluetooth. You know the thing is called Bluetooth after him. Is that right? It was yeah. It was named after the king in 1997, based on an analogy that the technology would unite devices the way Harold Bluetooth united the tribes of Denmark into a single kingdom. The Bluetooth logo consists of two runes for the initials H and B. Oh, I never knew that. Well, well there you go. Know. You learn something every day. Harold Bluetooth from Yelling, the Yelling Stone. It's really co- co- quite a interesting. St- place to see and and here i was reading last week two weeks ago three weeks ago i was reading ignatius of antioch about the gospel overthrowing the magic and i don't know what that means but there's this you see it a little bit in the book of acts and then you see it in the early church fathers that when jesus comes into a place all the dark magic scatters, right? So think of like Ephesus. <laughs> I remember we were in Ephesus a while back, and uh, I said, you got to imagine the sons of Sceva running past here naked. Remember that they were the Jewish uh, exorcist, and they go in and they say, we cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, and they say, the demons say, we know about Jesus and we know about Paul, but who are you? And they pummel <laughs> the guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they ran out of the house naked. So, but whenever the gospel comes to a place, the the black magic is scattered. It's part of the it's part of the evangelism of the early period. And um, I think Ignatius is talking about that. And and you get that sense up and yelling. There's all this black magic nonsense with the Vikings. They would they would offer sacrifice. They'd go into these sacred forests and they'd hang animals and people. Just dozens and dozens of people. They'd just hang them from the trees as a sacrifice to these you know, whatever pagan gods they were worshiping. And and they had all this magic stuff. And then Christianity comes and the magic fades. The magic, uh, the darkness goes even deeper into the darkness. But I think as, then as Christianity wanes, the fairy tales and the magic and all this stuff starts to come back. So I think mm-hmm. we're probably seeing that now. Very interesting. Fascinating stuff. And so you, you learn something every you learn something every day, just not usually on Table Talk Radio. So that's, that's just... right. Gorm the Old. Can you imagine having the name Gorm? <laughs> that sounds really, really Vikingy. <laughs> there's a there's a uh, there's two of these stones up there in this place called Yelling that they have these runes on them, and there's the stone from Gorm, and it's written like bottom to top. Like it's written vertically. Hmm. This the the runes are written there. And then you have the next one made by Bluetooth and it's written left to right, horizontally. They think that that's what the monks taught him. That he was reading the Bible and so forth. Oh. It even changed the direction of the language. Huh. Also, you know how the Vikings have the... Apparently the Viking idea, of, this is the Viking idea of paradise, where if you die in battle, you get to go to Valhalla and the result is that you get to sit around fighting all your enemies all day, killing them, 
and then they come back to life at night and you have this raging party. <laughs> and then the, when the morning comes, you kill each other all day and then you wake up to have this party and that goes on for eternity. That's the that's the Viking idea of paradise. Okay. What a bunch of pagans. <laughs> but here's a, one of the pastors we were with thought this was kind of cool is that that they they didn't really have this idea of paradise until the Christians came, mm. and they started the Christians started talking about the resurrection, and then, and then they uh, 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 said, well, we can do that. We can have a resurrection. Let's make it our Vikingy kind of resurrection. So they have Valhalla. Hmm. I met a guy. I got I got going to the H E B the other day, who was I, he asked me if what religion I was. And I asked him, and he said, "I'm a, I'm an old Norse pagan." I gotta talk. Now I know all about the these old Norse pagans. He said that in the in the H E B in Texas. No, it's a parking lot. It's a parking lot. He wasn't inside the H E B. Everyone inside the H E B is Christian, but outside <laughs> of the park. <laughs> he was the security guard. Oh, gotcha. Ah, and he said, "I said, well, what church do you go to?" He says, "I don't go to church. I'm an old Norse pagan." I said, "Well." Boy, that. <laughs> hey, so you started talking about uh, you know killing everybody and having a party afterwards? Or? Yeah, what? The, yeah, what the heck? I now I know what to say. Now I mean I know. that's I, if, if I had to hire a pagan as a security guard, that would be the guy I'd want to hire. I mean, you got your battle axe, <laughs> old Norse pagan. Give me a break. But I think that what happens when when Christianity diminishes, it's not like everyone becomes like a. Uh, you know, I like guess Stephen Hawking's rationalist. Everyone becomes an old Norse pagan. Mm-hmm. That's the default. Okay, I got a, I got another one for you. Ready? Okay, ready. Christian. Christian. You? Oh, okay. Um, I'm gonna say that this is probably a name of a important figure in Denmark history. You are wrong. Christian is a person who follows Jesus. Oh. But Christian III was king of Denmark, August uh, from 1503 to 15... Oh, no, he lived from 1503 to 1559, and he was king of Denmark from 1534 and Norway, 1537, until his death in 1559. So how was I wrong again? Because you said Christian. I said, I'm talking about Christian III. <laughs> I don't know if there was a Christian the first, but you know what they'd call him? <laughs> Christian the first. Right. Obviously. That was that was slimy, but go ahead. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing. This man, Christian the third, was at the Diet of Worms. He wasn't king yet. 1521, down in Worms. You know hmm. Worms? I do know Worms. Worms is where Luther said, here I stand. I can't do anything else. It's not safe to go against conscience. My conscience is captive to the word of God, etc. He said, they said, can you uh, forsake all these books? And he said, well, some I should probably. And some I've written a little too harshly. But other ones I've said just what you guys say. And in most of them, I've written about the most important stuff, which is the gospel. And I can't forsake that because that's our salvation. So there you go. Hmm. And this guy, Christian III of Denmark, was there at the Diet of Worms. That's really interesting. You know, we don't talk or think about that much, but what what about those who heard the confession of Luther at Worms? 
What did they go on to do? So tell us. Right. So he went back and he became king uh, approximately 13 years later. And he says, we're all Lutheran now. (laughs) So that's when... um, that's when Denmark uh, joined the Reformation. I mean, there was attempts at, a little before, it looks like, for them to kind of get on board with the with the old Reformation. But it was especially Christian III who said, that, nope, this is us. This is our confession. And so, and it seemed like it was pretty good. He even was looking at joining the Small-Called League, and I think there was conversations there, fighting against uh, Charles V and, um, and so forth. So that was another very important moment in the history of Denmark. Very, very good. All right. Well, we have one more segment. Are there more? Is there more yeah. of this game? Oh, yeah, one more. Oh, one more. Okay, right. We'll, we'll be right back. I guess we'll dream up another game. I got it already. I do, hey, just follow my lead. I oh, already got it. Right. Okay. I forgot. That's what we were doing today. Huh. Well, if you're still listening, we'll be right back <laughs> after this. This is Table Talk Radio. You have been warned. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the devotions button. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, where we are playing the famous game of significant figure in Denmark history, or where I am dominating with a score of, what do I have, like 200 points? 400. 400 points. So I should get 200 points every time I stump you. Uh, you should have. We should, we should have you established got, that at uh, the beginning. You got Bluetooth, and you got uh, Rosetness, and you failed on Grundvig. And also on Christian. And your trick on Christian. One more. Ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Frederick the Second. Okay. Uh, this is another trick. <laughs> Frederick the Second. What's the trick? How could that possibly be a trick? <laughs> How could Frederick II not be a dude? Well, it's 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 definitely a dude. The question is, is he influential in Denmark history or not? And I am leaning towards no, because I think you're trying to trick me again. Um, will this be a second to Frederick the Wise? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna say, oh man! I'm gonna say yes. This is this is a. Well, you are right. Frederick II <laughs> was king of Denmark and of Norway and Duke of Schleswig and Holstein from 1559 until his death. He was the successor of Christian, I think his father, and most importantly for our conversation here, he rejected the Book of Concord. Dun dun. Done. I know it. So think about this. So Luther died in, what, 1546, and then a number of controversies broke out in the Lutheran Church, the churches of the Augsburg Confession, they considered themselves. And so they got together in Wittenberg, a bunch of these guys. Was it Wittenberg? I think Chemnitz was there. And where was the form of the Concord written? That's a curious thing. Well, anyway, they got together and they said, hey, let's sort out these controversies. And so 
they pu- they wrote the formula of Concord and they published a summary of it and then they put it all together in the Book of Concord and they said, hey, here's a rallying point for all the theologians of the Augsburg Confession. And a lot of these theologians said, yeah, that's right, they signed their name to it. But they sent a copy. I think Anna was Frederick II's sister, was married. To, I, I was looking that up earlier. I should see it here. And um, she sent him a copy of the Book of Concord. And he said, we don't need it. Not, uh, not for us. And he burned his copy of the Book of Concord. And the, the church in, in Denmark, they said, we, we have the Augustana, the Augsburg Confession, and the small catechism. That's enough. And they didn't have it in Danish until maybe a few years ago. It's amazing. Wow. How about that? So here's the, here's the Wikipedia conversation about it. A good testimony of Frederick's stubborn resistance to all religious controversy can be found in response to the late 16th century Lutheran statement of faith, the form of the and the Book of Concord. Um, it was an attempt to promote unity among the German Lutheran princes. He, uh, August, uh, Concord was extremely orthodox. Frederick II had already clashed with his old friend and companion Augustus over theological issues. In 1575, he had complained profoundly about the Calvinist sentiments expounded by this guy here, whose name I don't know. Um, like many of his contemporaries of his time, Frederick believed the Book of Concord promoted discord, not harmony, ignoring Augustus's warnings that a Calvinist plot had taken root in Denmark's clergy. He banned the Book of Concord in his lands in July 1580. Possession of the book or even discussion of its contents would be punished severely. Wow. The king burned his own personal copies, which were sent to him by his sister Anne, the wife of Augustus. The Concord, he argued, contained teaching, quote, teachings which are foreign and alien to us and our churches could easily disrupt the unity of the church, which these kingdoms have hitherto maintained. Yeah, how about that? Interesting, huh? Now, this is what's behind a bunch of the, I mean, so, like, what do you do with the form of the Concord? This is why, by the way, that the Missouri Synod churches and schools and everything are all named Concordia. Concordia Seminary, Concordia University, Concordia Publishing House, and all the ELCA ones, which come from the Scandinavian heritage, have Augustana College, Augsburg Fortress Publishing House, etc. Because they say, we don't need the Concordia, we have the Augustana. And there's this big divide even that has been brought over to the United States between the sort of two confessions, which do, to which do you belong? Interesting, huh? But it's, it's not as if they're in contradiction to one another. It's just that the formula being a later document clarified things that did not have such clarity in Augsburg. That's right. Just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They don't. So it's like um, because the Calvinists were signing on to the Augsburg Confession, yeah. and and especially the ones with the Variata, they they then they shouldn't have been able to. But they're sneaking around doing that kind of stuff, that kind of Calvinisticy stuff, and and um, and so the the Book of Concord says, no, no, no. Here's here's what we teach, and here's here's what we don't teach, and and so forth. And that's so. Good. It's it's a, I mean that's our kind of theological heritage the Concord which is why we're why we're so grumpy. <laughs> that's kind of like uh, Arius is signing on to primitive confessions from Nicaea, and like yeah, yeah I can go with that that's fine I, yeah. I can confess that okay fine fine one substance with the Father. <laughs> oh man, no, you got to write it so that you can't sign on to it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's why it's so clear. I mean, that's why one of the reasons why the formula is so clear is that it says, um, yeah. here's what here's what these people teach, here's what these people teach, here's what we believe, 
And then this here's what, what we reject. Yep, yep. And and right. they and they wrote it in such a way that they didn't name names, but you know, <laughs> you know well, who this is talking about. <laughs> sometimes they would name names. Yeah, they would even they would call people. But you, yeah, but that's right. They didn't always say. But it was they would quote people. Here's yeah. what this you know this quote. If you if you like this quote, you're in trouble, buddy. Boom. Now, so that leads me to the next game. How much time we have? Four minutes. What document of the Book of Concord does this? So this is the uh, game nice. where I will say something, and you have to tell me what document of the Book of Concord best does it. Okay. Okay. What document in the Book of Concord most clearly defines the authority of the Scripture? Oh, that would be, uh, that'd be the formula. Exactly. Hey, that's right. Good point. That's the rule and norm that comes at the beginning of the formula, uh, both the epitome and the solid declaration. And that's where we hear that the scriptures are the pure, clear fount of Israel, the only rule and norm for uh, the only infallible rule and norm for faith and practice. That our Bible doctrine is most clearly spelled out in the formula of Concord. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's play again. Let me hold on. Let me give you some points there. You want to say anything more about that? Uh, yeah, I no, I just think it's interesting. I, I had never thought about that before. You know, if if we had to uh, defend the authority of Scripture on the basis of the Book of Concord, where would we go? And we'd have to go to the formula. Yep. So, of the ten documents in the Book of Concord, the creeds, Augsburg Confession, and Apology, small called uh, the Catechisms of Luther, and the formula of Concord, which document? most clearly uses Scripture to defend all the points that they make. Oh, that's without a doubt the formula. Right, the so formula. The formula is just is this lines quoting the Scriptures. And then and they'll quote Scripture, and then they'll just have a list, like, see also these Scriptures. Yeah. So which document in the Book of Concord has the most Scripture references? Oh, formula. Right. All right. I'm not going to give you points for that one. Now, the next one is, which document in the Book of Concord best shows us how to do theology by starting with the Scriptures and then looking at the Augsburg Confession and then the other confessions and then the writings of Luther and the other helpful church fathers? Well, once again, that's, that's formula because uh, it does just that, just as you described. Well, that's right. It gives us how to do theology. You're doing really good I, I think at this. Th game. I like this game. I, I think <laughs> to make the point that you're, <laughs> the the point that you're making with this game is that if you have the Book of Concord minus the formula, you're really missing out on a lot of theology defined, but also on how we should rightly approach theology. That's right. That's right. Which book of the which confession in the book of concord best teaches us exactly what you just said right there about how to approach theological questions from the basic uh, orthodox principles that the bible sets forth the nicene creed <laughs> wrong <laughs> sorry <laughs> which uh, the formula does that too especially when it says like like it takes up the question of election and it says now let's guys let's take a step back and let's recognize that the bible tells us what to do, and delivers comfort. Romans 15, 4, 1 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy, Timothy 3, 16. And, uh, and so if our doctrine takes away the instructing and the comforting of the Scripture, then it's false doctrine. And that's exactly what the doctrine of election does when the Calvinists teach it. It's great. Okay, what document of the Book of Concord, what two documents of the Book of Concord teach us 
that theology must be both positive and negative, stated what we approve and also what we condemn. Is the formula uh, one document or two documents? The formula is one document. Okay. So it would be the formula and... Uh, see, uh, what was it again? The, that best... That we have to do it positively and negatively. We have to define what we believe and what we reject. Uh, oh, I don't know. Formula and small called? Formula, well, I guess that'd be true too. Small called does it too. But most the Augsburg Confession does it. When oh, it yeah. says, yeah, we sure. damn the Anabaptists and everything. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'd, I'd probably go with Augsburg. Hey, that was... You gotta plan shows more often. That was good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Evan's gonna use his fourteen hundred points as frequent flyer miles. Thanks for listening to this edition right. of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Killed Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk it. Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.